Hey friends, welcome to Wild Confidence Podcast, where we help one another find, keep, and share our confidence in Christ. I'm your host, Ainsley B. It's an honor to bring you some inspiring conversations with amazing guests. Before we hear today's conversation, I want to kindly ask if you'd leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who might like it. I'd also love to connect on Instagram, so find me at Ainsley B. Okay, I can't wait anymore. Let's get to know our guest. Today, we have two guests, so make sure you stay for the whole episode so you get double the goodness. We have um, two podcast guests today, and I'm excited to introduce you to Tracy Miles and bring back my good friend, Bethany Ricks. She's amazing, um, and I can't wait for y'all to hear this episode. Let's dive in. First up, we have Bethany Ricks. She is a leadership expert, a speaker, and author. She focuses on helping women achieve their well done without compromising character or faith by sharing uncomfortable truths on the back of storytelling, biblical principles, and written words. She is a mother of two children residing in Ohio, is an avid outdoors woman, and constantly searching for the perfect cup of coffee. One of my nearest and dearest, let's hear from Bethany Ricks. <laughs> The thing about this conversation that we're about to have is that we're already in the thick of it. So (laughs) we're just gonna, we're just gonna launch. First of all, welcome to Wild Confidence. Welcome back to Wild Confidence. So excited to be here. Bethany. So excited. Let me tell y'all, first of all, Bethany preaches on a regular basis. We talk literally every day, probably. And so I, I get church more than weekly, but now we are welcoming you into, um, the sanctuary. And Bethany was just talking about how God is not okay with the thing that has happened to you. Yes. Now, now go now, whatever, whatever that hurt and pain, trauma, whatever happened to you, God is not okay with it. And so what we have going on right now is people will say to us, hey, that's not okay. Hey, you are enough. But we are forgetting to say, oh, and by the way, God is not okay. God is not okay with that thing that happened to you. Whatever it was, whether it was in childhood, as a teenager, as an adult. And then by the way, God will also name it. And he's not going to say, I did this to you so you could be stronger. Mm. (laughs) I did this to you so it could be a test of your faith or devotion to me. What he will say is, I'm actually not okay with it and I'm going to handle it. That's why I want you to give it to me. I want you to give it to me so I can handle it because I'm not okay with it. So that's what I, because I love you and I am your father and my heart hurts for my children. Yes. Like I look at you, I'm looking at you with empathy and grace and love and, um, heartache and wanting to rescue you from this pain. Yes. So come into the throne of grace. He's a good father. There is nothing evil in him. He is not double-minded. He is not like us. He doesn't change his mind. There's nothing that we can do to make him go like, huh, maybe, like there is no maybe about us when it comes to him. He's like, no, you are mine. You have always been mine. I just need you to understand and decide and open your palm to me so I can handle it. Mm -hmm. 
And how would you live if you knew it was already handled? Oh, you live free. Free. You live free. And when bondage comes, because those things do show up in our life, right? Mm -hmm. Like struggles, trials, and tribulations, those things do show up. The Bible tells us those things will happen. But we can go through those those things, those trials and tribulations, knowing that on the other side, there is freedom, knowing that God is walking with us cheek to cheek. He's, He's not on the other side waiting. No, he's walking with us. I preached a message last week about David and how David talks about with Saul right before he goes to fight Goliath. He talks about how God delivered him from the paw of the lion and the bear, which means while he was in the midst of worship Mm -hmm. and working, God was with him and delivered him. So while the lion and the bear were doing what lions and bears do, God delivered him. He didn't keep the lion and the bear from doing what lions and bears do, but he, he got in it and he delivered it. Right. Yeah. And so God is able to restore all things. He is able to heal all things because he sees all things. He is experiencing all the things with us. And sometimes we can forget that in our hurt and pain. I know that I have because Hurt and pain and trauma and situations and circumstances become significantly louder than the whisper of God. And that can distract us. It has distracted me. And what it Mm -hmm. does, it creates these situations of doubt, right? And doubt is different than fear because doubt makes you feel like you're walking on thin ice. And we've talked about this. Doubt makes you feel like, like for those who are listening, imagine that you are standing on a pond that is frozen over, but you don't know how frozen it is. So you doubt whether or not you can move to the left or the right. So you are then paralyzed in that spot. Fear can be a good thing. So that's why I say there's a difference between doubt and fear because fear is, fear can be a good thing. Fear can save your life. Fear has saved my life, but doubt will cripple you. So that's what the enemy uses. Enemy makes you doubt God. The enemy makes you question and doubt what God has told you. The enemy makes you doubt your worth, doubts you're enough, doubts the fact that God is going to show up for you. That's what the enemy does. Yeah. And exactly what you're saying is like, we are to have the fear of God. We are to know our place, but we are not to doubt God. Preach that's that. it. Preach it. <laughs> we can play ping pong all day long. Okay. And here's the thing. Here's what's so amazing about what you preached, because usually I ask you about what you preach whenever you're about to. And yeah. this time you told me um, a, a piece about borrowing armor. Yes. And, <clears throat> and while I know that was a part of it, the funny thing about what you're saying right now about the lion and the bear is that two or three nights ago, I was reading Goldie, like a little bedtime story. And we read the little Bible stories. Okay. And I was reading about David and Goliath and literally in the little book, it, I read for the first time that, uh, David communicating, like he rescued me from the lion. He rescued me from the bear. He's not going to stop rescuing me. It, you know, there or moving forward. And literally that was my first, I had like a revelation that 
in that moment while I'm reading a children's book that I'm just like the confidence that David has in God comes from past experience showing that God is showing up over and over and in the midst of attack and in the midst of hardship. It's like, this is, this is where David's confidence is coming from is in these uh, faith pillars of experience where God has shown up and saved him. So for me to have literally just read that two or three nights ago, and then you're talking (laughs) about it today, I'm like, that's how the Holy Spirit works. He's literally communicating to us all the time, sometimes saying things that we need to repeat and we need to hear over and over and over. We need to be reminded of. And when it comes to hardship in general, all of these things are true. But our specific topic today is on divorce. Yeah. And I, I mean, you and I have talked about this topic multiple times Um, because I'm a child of divorce, I guess you would say. Um, And then you have been divorced. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we have talked about just ins and outs of the complexities of that. And one thing that you said is what made me want to have this conversation with you publicly is that God loves divorced people. Yes. Because initially people are like, wait, what do you mean? Yeah. What do you mean? You have been rejected by the father mm-hmm. because you are divorced. I mean, we the divorce is one of those sticky topics in the church, um, yeah. along with many others. And we have this checklist, the royal we. There's this checklist of qualifications that one must meet in order to be bridged to redemption. But God doesn't mm-hmm. require any of that. We want to put qualifications on God's love. And so for me, uh, people want to understand my story before they are willing to extend grace, Mm -hmm. before they are willing to extend empathy. They want to know, were you abused? Was there, did did anyone step outside of the marriage? And if they did, was it you or was it him? So they want to know all of these parameters and qualifications prior to the extending of grace. And nowhere in the Bible does God say that. He does not say that we are supposed to do that. And then we put our judgments on God. So we say, well, I'm not okay with the separation of this marriage. So then God is not okay which is also not biblical. And we also say that people can't be used if they are divorced. And God also does not say that anywhere in the Bible. And so it has become this, you know, this topic that is really marred and muddied down and very cloudy and just, you know, people feel a lot of shame. um, And... I mean, some people, look, some people are very reckless in their marriages. I I am in ministry and there are a lot of people who are reckless and who are out ending marriages just because they don't want to be married anymore. That is out of order. Yeah. It's completely out of order. And they should be in counseling. And I usually tell them, how about you fast, turn your plate down and, you know, let's, let's fast together before you, you know take those leaps. Let's, let's see what the Lord is saying. Yeah. Uh, but then there's the other side of, 
you have people who are going through a lot of pain and uh, we, the broader audience, there's no requirement uh, for us to know the ins and outs of everyone's story before we extend grace and empathy or say that God is now relinquishing his love and grace from them. Man, isn't it so insane that we, it's like we have to know your story so you earn our empathy and grace. So we have to like learn it, right? But Uh it's so backwards to what Jesus did because Jesus knew the story Uh and it was not even redeemed Uh yet. You know, it's like, we're like, you have to be redeemed before I give you um, Mm -hmm. whatever, but I mean, we're just so backwards to what Jesus is doing, where he's approaching lepers, approaching prostitutes, approaching people who are not sorry mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> not sorry yet. <laughs> they're at not sorry some point yet. they become sorry, but they're not sorry Yes, yet. after an encounter. Yes, after, after that encounter. encounter. And yet we have an encounter and we withhold. Yes, we withhold. And we feel justified with the withholding. I mean, there are a lot of times where people will give me and give me scriptures and they say, well, what about this? Or you're not allowed to preach because you are, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons why certain people say I can't preach, but you're divorced. <laughs> they don't even know my story. Right. Now, you know my story mm-hmm. and, you know, my story will bring you to your knees, mm-hmm. but um, without knowing anything. Just by looking, just by looking at me and hearing, I was married for 10 years. I am now divorced, a single mother of two children. I am now not qualified. That happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, 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 okay. Yeah. See, that's the difference between religion and relationship. Yes. Exactly. And that is, that is the difference between man stain and what Jesus can erase. Because even if you have people who, cause that's what Jesus has death did, right. Yeah. It erased every stain. So you may have some people who are listening right now and, and they're, they're saying, well, you know, I am divorced and I didn't come to know Christ until after, after that, what does that mean for me? It means nothing because once in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Yeah. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. See, God is a God of relationship. He is a God of restoration. He is a God of renewing all things, restoring all things. <laughs> there, are, there are no stains. He blots it all out. Yeah. Including the hurt and the pain. Because for those people who have never been through divorce, it is not just the signing of a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. It is the breaking of a significant bond. Most people who are married, who go through divorce, when they got married, they married that person with the intention of doing it for life. Mm-hmm. Very rarely do people enter into marriage saying, and I'm going to divorce. Right. That's not how that happens. And so it is a very painful, painful process. And the worst thing that anyone can do, including believers, is then follow up with God is now rejecting you and you have a stain on your garment. Yeah. The, The Bible doesn't apply to you anymore. Right. 
the scriptures don't apply to you anymore. And even though we don't know what went on behind closed doors, I understand you have a very fancy two-story house. You have two cars and 3.5 children because you have a dog and a beautiful picket fence. And you guys had wonderful cookouts, but no one knows what you were battling in your marriage day in and day out and the abuse, the abuse that was being suffered. Mm-hmm. No one sees that. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And so that those are the things that people aren't really talking about. Do you think that's because, okay, so I'm thinking like, is our lack of empathy because we don't see what happened? I mean, not that it, we even should be, we should be able to empathize and give grace no matter what. But do you think that it's because, oh, we didn't see it. So we're, we don't get it, but God was there and he saw it. And that's why his heart bends for his children. I mean, I think God's heart always bends for his children. I mean, you're not going to like my answer. One, I think that, (laughs) I think people, people don't, (laughs) what'd you say? (laughs) People are terrible. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there is the people struggle with uh this topic in part because they want to get a divorce Mm. that's why i say you're not gonna like my answer there are a Mm. lot of people who are in troubled marriages Mm -hmm. and they are they they so they feel stuck and so you got you have that dynamic going on so they're projecting Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying i'm not i'm not anyone's pastor so if you're listening to me and you're like, who does she think she is? I don't think I'm anyone. I'm just one beggar. Tell another beggar where the bread is. That's it. That's it. I would recommend. <laughs> I just love, I've never heard I would that highly recommend that you and your spouse go to counseling. Yeah. Go and talk with your pastor. Like I am not, I am not pro-divorce. Do not get it twisted. I am a fan of marriage. I am a fan of marriages staying together, but I am also telling you do not project what is going on in your house onto other people. Yeah. So I think you have that situation. I think there is a lack of understanding. And so when someone is not transparent about their marriage, we jump to conclusions, mm. which is what happened with me. So I was married for 10 years. Um, it was a volatile marriage for nine of the 10 years. And I was a successful businesswoman and I was busy uh, doing that, but also trying to maintain a certain perception. Mm -hmm. God didn't tell me to maintain that perception. That was me. And because of my personality, I became very withdrawn, which allowed the volatility to increase behind closed doors. So I had all the things but what was going on inside of my house was extremely troubling. Mm -hmm. I didn't talk to anyone about it. So when it got to the point where God told me to exit, God told me to exit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I called my pastor. So this wasn't like a, you know, this was a like, okay, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. Um, It was a surprise because I had kept those things very close on top of the fact that in marriage, typically, tell me if I'm wrong on this Ainsley, 
most things are kept between the husband and the wife. Yeah. You tell a couple of your friends, but even when you tell your friends things, you don't tell your friends all things. Right. Right. So people were surprised. On top of that, God told me to close my mouth. So there was the unfolding of how the events unfolded and I, I kept it kosher. I, I did not get in the trenches during this time. So I received a lot of judgment, Mm -hmm. a lot of flack, a lot of assumptions made about me as a person. This is why this divorce has happened. He said a lot of things about me that were untrue publicly. Um, And then fast forward a year later, they on, on, on their own, on its own, uh, God worked it out because he said he would work it out. He said, be still and know, be still and watch. Um, And so the reason I'm sharing the story, this part of the story with those who are listening, who may not be divorced, I'm telling you this because you don't know all things, but God does, which is why we don't get to decide. This is why we don't get to decide. Right. Because there were judgments made about me that were untrue. Mm -hmm. But God brought those to light in his timing. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have to do anything. And we've all been in situations where, you know, about 18 months later, six months later, we're sitting back and we're like, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. That's what was happening. Yeah, which is why we're not judge or jury. Yeah. We're just called to empathy. That's it. We're just right. called to love. Right. We're just called to have our arms wide open. Mm-hmm. So what would you what would you say to the people who say the cliche phrase? Oh, there's so many. I know there's so many. God hates divorce, but loves the divorced person. Like, what would you say to that? That is true. He does hate divorce. I mean, uh-huh. he, he brings people together. I mean, marriage is such a beautiful thing. Oh, right. It's so, I, it is, it is so beautiful. Ainsley's looking at me like, go ahead. she's like, no, I'm like, uh-huh, you're like, yeah. go ahead and say it. It is <laughs> such a beautiful thing. And it's something that I hope that I can have in my lifetime, which is a healthy marriage. I hope that it be, so I am not, and that is healing because when, when I came out of my divorce, I said, I don't want to get married again because I'm in a situation where I don't have to per se. Mm -hmm. And so, but because of, because God restores all things, right. And he heals all things. And in his timing, that is something that I'm like, oh, I would, God, God loves marriage. Why wouldn't Mm -hmm. I love marriage? Right. Right. And so I understand, I can understand the statement, but when people are saying it, they're not saying it. (laughs) Yeah. They're not saying it in love. They're saying it like, well, God hates divorce. I'm shaming you. Yeah. And he still loves you. Yeah, that's how I feel like they are saying it's a it little bit of, of it, there's a little bit of shame. There's a there's a little bit of a shame storm there. So yeah. what you did is wrong. He still loves you, but you should still like hang your head low. 
Yes, that's how I feel. And like I always say it a lot. I always bring up David. I'm like, yeah. So it's kind of like what we, when we preach about David, he also, like David was this wonderful king, but he also was, you know, a murderer and like. Right. And, you know. He was a murderer and a man after God's own heart. Yeah. He was both of those things. Yeah. But we really champion David. Yeah. But it's like David sent a man to the front line because he wanted his wife. Right. David was shady. Shady, shady Dave. Shady, shady Dave. Dave. <laughs> so when people say that, because um, I have said it, yes, God hates divorce. He loves, but like, and that's biblically sound, but don't say it to shame the person. Right. Yes, God hates divorce. And he restores all things. Right. And he renews all things. And that doesn't have to be a blotch on your record. And yes, you can still serve in the church. Right. <laughs> spicy. <laughs> but real spicy. Yeah, you don't need to check a box on the application. Yeah. So, so our response, whenever we have a friend who is going through divorce should be yeah. what? How can I help you? What do you need from me? I see you. It doesn't really need to be deeply spiritual because here's the thing. I was really angry with God. So I, there was, there was a period of time there where I don't, I don't want to hear anything. You don't need a sermon. I don't want a sermon. And my dad's a pastor. And so there was a period of time where he was not, you know, he, because it was, there was a little bit of like, are we serious right now? Mm -hmm. That, you know, that anger and pain was boiling. And I'm, I'm talking broadly because, you know, people don't know my story and that's fine. And everybody can find themselves in, but you can find yourself in what I'm saying. And, but I was angry. And so if you approach someone with, how can I help you? What do you need from me? I, I would have friends who would just come and sit. Then we would just sit in silence. Sit in the laundry basket. I had my, I had my friend who sat in the basket. Ainsley, Ainsley loves Ooh, the basket story. The, she was like, the, I, I will, love the basket story. Like, I will come and eat ice cream with you and we will sit in the basket. And if you don't know the basket story, go listen to Bethany's other appearance on Wild Confidence. You will get it. About friendship. About friendship. Basket friends. Friends who will get in the, I mean, real close. I'll get it. She said it. She said, I'll get in the laundry basket with you and I'll eat the ice cream and we'll just sit in the warm towels. And because I was having a breakdown and she's like, what are you doing? I said, I'm sitting in the laundry basket. Yeah. And so I, sometimes that's what I needed. And it's not to dismiss Bible and scripture. Believe me, I am a leadership, faith-based leadership teacher. Like this is, I'm not dismissing Bible at all. But what I am saying is sometimes. Sometimes the wrestle is between God and the person. And you don't need to be in that. And that wrestle is real. Yeah. That wrestle is a real wrestle and it's a dark wrestle. And it's like, your job is just to be that person in the corner that helps 
all right, we're helping, you know, the bleeding and I'll help yeah, we're mending. The blood and then you're getting right back in it. But we're, my, but as a friend, I'm just staying in my little corner and I'm not getting into the ring. And they'll tell you what they will, close friends will tell you what you need. What is really, what hurts, I think, um, is when there's a very clear delineation between friendship and acquaintance. So feelings tend to get hurt during the divorce process. Yeah. Because people only have so much capacity. So if you are a friend of someone going through a divorce, I always tell people, understand they only have so much capacity. Mm-hmm. Their entire world is crumbling. They have yeah. been woven together with someone else. Mm-hmm. Everything. It's like a braid, like when you're braiding your hair, everything in their life is woven together with this person. Every decision that they have made for however many years, this person has, if they're not involved with it, they are still impacted by it. Mm -hmm. And everything they do, I mean, even after I was divorced three years after, I mean, I've been divorced now for seven years. um, And it was, you know, three years after I was still finding his stuff in my house. Yeah. So it's, it's a process and, you have to remove the space of offense. And that's why I mean, a lot of feelings get hurt. Friends are like, well, she didn't call or he didn't call or they didn't invite me over. Um, They didn't do this. They didn't, they only have so much capacity. Yeah. They only have to remove the space of offense. You have to remove. Honestly, you have to remove the space of offense, period. I mean, you know, human beings. I know, Ainsley. I know, I know. But that's actually one thing that I've been like focusing on in my life is not being offended. Yeah. Remove the space for offense. Yeah. Because I just, because you just don't know what, what's happening in general, but especially in this specific, obviously situation, removing the space for offense is like huge. Absolutely. I love that piece. Uh I love that. And that means they may not talk to you for four months. Yeah. That's okay. People carry weight differently. Yeah. People carry trauma differently and divorce is traumatic. It's not just kids every other weekend. You are talking about a heart trauma. And sometimes there is abuse on both sides. Don't assume that men aren't abused. There is a lot of emotional and financial abuse going on with men. Mm -hmm. And that's the stuff that we don't see. Yeah. You don't see, you don't see that. Mm -hmm. Um, and we can't just conclude that, Oh, they got divorced. That's unbiblical. That great divorce grieves God. And I think a part of the grieving is because God sees what goes on when everyone leaves the house and the door is locked and the kids are in bed. Mm-hmm. And the, you're just sitting at the kitchen table with the casserole and suddenly you realize it's just me and the casserole at this kitchen table. Yep. So our sees, role. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you can go. Oh, I was saying, and God sees what, what is going, it grieves him. What happens before the divorce? Yeah. Right. When the road to, the, yeah, the road to divorce or people who are in troubled marriages right now. And someone is sleeping on the couch and someone is sleeping upstairs because there is distance. Before I got my divorce, my husband and I were oceans apart. 
oceans mm-hmm. apart. Ships my, house was, my house were cold. It was a cold yeah. house. It was cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that knowing, yes, knowing that that's what grieves God, we should be doing that. We should be mimicking that. Or like, you know, we should take that example and grieve with our friends or, or be okay with that grief. If we're experiencing that and allow God to do the work with that person or within ourselves while we take no offense and lead with grace and empathy. Would you say that is a fair, fair summary? (laughs) Yes. I love this so much. I just love all the light that you said because everything you said like could be applied to so many other areas. And I just always appreciate your wisdom and insight and you in general and your friendship. And we talk every day. So I don't know. I'm just going to gas you up, but you're the best. (laughs) You're the best. I mean, this is, and hey, and for anyone who is going through your divorce, the best piece of advice I can give you is don't jump into another relationship. Don't date a boo-boo dude. She said. And the best way to determine whether or not you're dating a boo-boo dude or not is to heal. And it has taken me six years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to heal whole. Mm -hmm. For God to do precision-like work, surgical precision. And you may go, well, God can move quicker. He could, but with me, he took six years to ensure that I don't bleed on the next person. Yeah, exactly. That the sutures heal, they stay in nice and tight. Exactly. And it took me about two years to like stay on the, you know, stay laying there. Cause I was like, yeah. I really don't want to be here. <laughs> He's yeah. like, now nah, you kind of need to. Yeah. Stay in the recovery room. So you got to make sure you don't date a boo-boo dude. And in order to do that, you got to pause. True. Pause and heal and know your worth. Yeah. Um, Who needs a script? Who needs questions? (laughs) I had no pre-planned questions going into this. That's what you said. I was like, are you going to send questions? You're like, we don't need any. I was like, okay, let's do this. And and did we? Y'all, it is happening. I am so excited to finally bring you the book that I've been working on called Don't Date a Boo-Boo Dude. It is a guide to raise your standards, realize your worth, and remove shame from the dating game. I'm writing this book on a mission that girls everywhere will embrace a wild confidence in their identity in Christ and fulfill the calling that God has placed on their lives. Y'all, it's time to raise the bar, link arms, and fix our crowns. The book is now available for pre-order on Amazon, and it officially comes out August 2nd. Tracy Miles is the author of seven best-selling books, a writing coach, the director of Compel Training at Proverbs 31 Ministries, a member of the Proverbs 31 Devotion Writers Team, and the founder of the Living Unbroken Divorce Recovery Program. You can connect with Tracy on her blog at tracymiles.com, as well as on her Facebook author page and Instagram. Tracy, thank you so much for hanging out with us today on Wild Confidence. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Of course, I am great. I'm so excited to talk to you about this topic because I really think that, I mean, it happens 
very often, you know, the topic of divorce and um, those kinds of relationships just kind of deteriorating. And it's happening more and more in my friend group or in the people that I know. And we're in our kind of our 30s-ish. Um, and we're really just kind of experiencing it for the first time outside of maybe our parents or something like that. I and my husband both come from um, divorced families and we uh, talk about it, you know, a lot just in whether that has affected us or what that kind of looks like in our lives. And so we can speak from a child's perspective. Um, but I'm very excited to hear about your book and your the programs that you're running. Um, I've already told everyone about the Living Unbroken Divorce Recovery Program, but can you share a little bit about your book and your story? Absolutely. Well, I have been a writer for many years and I had just gotten a, a new contract um, with David C. Cook Publishing. It was a two book contract. And I, just a few months after that is when a lot of things came to light um, with my husband and just some problems that were pretty much uh, overwhelming and unrecoverable from. And it was just a few months after that happened, uh, after I got the contract rather, that I was tasked with writing these books. And so of course I thought, this is never gonna happen. I am not in a normal state of mind. I am not in a good mental health place. <laughs> right now and just so many problems and so much heartache. And um, I actually wrote an entire book, which the publisher was not that pleased with. <laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I've just wrote this entire book. I cried about it every single day while writing it. And so I just thought, okay, this is not a message, you know, that God can use or whatever, but my, the publisher and my editor worked with me and I rewrote the entire book, which became Unsinkable Faith which is actually one of my most popular books right now. And then it was really based on my story of, of separation and divorce, but it was focused more on our thinking patterns because I was so struggling with such negativity and you know, being able to think positive and think that God had good things for me in the midst of this tragedy of my almost 26 year marriage. Um, but that turned out great. And then I wrote Love Life again. And then even though I had shared pieces of my, my separation and divorce story and like all the things that came along with that and the problems and my children and just, you know, a lot of, a lot of that hurt, I hadn't really told a story of, you know, here's, here's really how God can use this and how you can recover from it. And he can use everything for good in our life. And that's really where Living Unbroken came from, because I knew when I was first going through it, all I really wanted was just that girlfriend to say, I've been there. I've walked in your shoes. You can make it through this. And here are some here are some tips and some steps and just just things to do. You know, just somebody to say, you know, you, you it, this is hard, but you're going to make it. And I really couldn't find that person and I couldn't find that resource. And so I think that's why God laid it on my heart to write this book for women going through separation and divorce, because, you know, we all need to know that there is going to be a light at the end of the tunnel at some point. But when you're just in the midst of it, it's really hard to to grasp that that mindset. Absolutely. I mean, I <laughs> I'm just still stuck on the fact that you wrote so many books out of like one pain point, not one pain point. I know there's, much, there's many facets to it, but this, this giant event in your life gave you so many books. And I'm like, that's incredible. And it honestly gives me hope as a writer or just as someone who is living life that you can literally still 
thrive in your work or just in your faith in the midst of something that is so monumental and so life-changing. And then that just kind of like begs the question of how on earth did you really stay connected with the Lord through all of that? Mm -hmm. Well, I honestly think that the writing of those books is what God used to help me to help me heal while I was still in the midst of, you know, all the hurt and the issues that I was facing and the challenges and just the financial devastation, the security, all of the things that you, that you have to deal with. And I I think that God used that because I was forced to like with unsinkable faith, I was forced to think about my thinking because I have to practice what I preach. But as I was walking through writing that book, the Lord was speaking to my heart about, you know, how we control our thoughts and how we capture our thoughts and and lean on him and that he's close to the brokenhearted and all of the things that I needed to hear is what I was writing about. And so I really feel like just staying so grounded and not everyone is a writer. So that's clearly not the only way to do that, but I really was um, just staying grounded in scripture and prayer and just having to blindly trust that everything was going to be okay. And I, I think that's kind of that's how he used the writing of the books to help me get to the other side. Yeah, that's amazing. How does he like specifically, how do you communicate with him specifically, like for your own, I guess, unique way of connecting with him? I mean, the standard answer would just be prayer. Yeah, <laughs> obviously. Um, but also just really keeping an eye out for how he's at work because it's easy to miss a lot of things. And so one of the things I write about, I think in Living Unbroken was how big of a part that journaling became, you know, part of my healing journey. And I would write down everything, every little blessing that came along, everything that I noticed, every answered prayer, I wrote it all down. And I'm so thankful for that because I would have forgotten all of those just little daily things or something someone said or a verse that just came to mind at the right time or, you know, just so many things. And so I think journaling is a great way too. And because you can not only, you know, pour your heart out, it's a safe place to connect with him, but it's also a great way to, to actually put your eyes on the fact that he's at work, even when you feel like you feel forgotten or overlooked. Yeah. It's almost like the, the, faith pillars, I guess, that you can kind of cling to. They're they're written out. They're right in front of you. Yeah. And you can kind of see them every single day and remind yourself of the miracles that he's working through. Mm-hmm. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Did you feel a sense of like, I don't know, I guess hopelessness and how did you na- navigate that if you did? Um, Well, hopelessness is really grounded in grief, I believe. And one of the things that I really talk about in Living Unbroken is just that whole grieving process and how there's five phases of it, you know, between denial and anger and just all of the things you can read so much about it, even online. But it really, a lot of times when people talk about grief, it's usually related to the loss of a loved one or the loss of something, you know, very important but people don't realize that there's a grieving process with divorce because it's the loss of your spouse. It's the loss of the life that you knew. It's the loss of your financial security, your intact family, your friend groups, you know, you're grieving the loss of so many things and it's often not recognized. And a lot of times people don't do anything. They're not going to bring you casseroles and send you cards. (laughs) Like if something, you know, tragic had happened because they may not think about it that way, or they don't know what to say. 
But when hopelessness is grounded in grief, I believe that we need to give ourselves time to grieve, keep hanging on to that trust that we were just talking about and just leaning into God and keeping track of the, the prayers that he are, is answering when it seems like the big things are going you know, unnoticed. And just give yourself time and realize that all of your feelings are valid. And I think that's very, very important because I know for myself, I just thought, I'm just going to go crazy. Like I am not a normal person anymore. I can't get control of my emotions or my thoughts and everything just felt so just this downward spiral of destruction in every area of my life. And you feel like you're just sinking and it just takes time and prayer and perseverance to keep going through and just really with scripture. And like I said, just trusting God and believing that his scriptures is meant for us. His promises are meant for us, not just for everyone else. And find those promises that are going to speak to your heart the most and recite them every day if you have to, just so you don't lose sight of them. Yeah, I love that. And I love that practice of just repetition, repetition, repetition. Now, is there something I'm thinking about like your grief process and, um, you know, how you're saying that people don't bring casseroles to divorce, (laughs) divorces or something. Um, What could friends do to support their friends who may be going through this? The most important thing I believe is just being present and you don't have to talk about it all the Mm. time. You don't have to know all the details, you know, just not backing away because that's, that's one of the hardest things is dealing with is just the loneliness, not only the physical loneliness, but just the loneliness you feel in your heart and this, this whole separation from the life that you once knew. So I had some friends that stuck to me like glue. And then I had some friends who I thought were best friends that pretty much just vanished. And I don't think there's anything more hurtful when you're, it's like pouring salt into, you know, an already open wound. Mm -hmm. So just, just being there for somebody, don't exclude them just because they're not a couple anymore. Don't not call them because you're not sure what to say or what to talk about, or it feels awkward. The, The biggest thing that someone can use is just a friendship. And it doesn't even have to be a shoulder to cry on. That's certainly helpful at times, but you really just want to be around people. You want to keep life as normal as it can, even though it seems completely out of, you know, what is normal. Yeah. That's really great advice, especially just, you know, the pressure of not knowing what to say Mm -hmm. can be really hard, but you're, you saying like, just be present and even just check in and be like, Hey, I don't, I don't know, even know what you need right now, but if you can communicate it, I will be. I will be as, you know, try my best to fulfill that. Yeah. Um, is really and I had a lot of men, men friends that, that kind of stepped up and said, let me come cut your grass for you. Cause I, I'm all about planting flowers, but I'm not all about mowing grass <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, or fixing a cabinet or my, you know, my pipe is leaking under my sink and I'm not sure what to do. So just, you know, any, any way that you can offer someone help, because there may be things that, you know, especially as a woman, I'm not trying to be act like I'm helpless <laughs> at all. And I've learned a lot. So I can definitely do a lot more on my own now, but there are just little things that you're just not in the right state of mind to do. Or right. You don't know how to do it. And so anything anyone can do, that's just an act of kindness really makes a difference. Yes, absolutely. It, yeah. It, it's not that you're incapable. It's just like right. in the midst of grief, you could really use someone else to just do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's definitely, definitely good tips. So I know that like a lot of times, and I know this was true um, in my family um, with some 
people who have experienced this, that shame is really hard for them to shake. They just can't almost like face, you know, the world again is what it feels like or face their communities or face their families. How can someone shake that? Well, that just goes back to believing who God says that we are and, you know, believing how precious we are in his eyes, that he says we are his treasure, we are his children and nothing that anyone has done to us or against us or anything that we have done ourselves, you know, we don't have to live with that shame. And so it's, it's really just believing what the word of God says. And also realizing that there's not a soul walking around that didn't have something that they were probably, you know, internally ashamed of, but it used to be that being divorced was you've got a scarlet letter on your chest and everyone's just going to talk about it and think differently of you. But unfortunately in today's world, you know, there's, it's so prevalent and, and even in Christian marriage is not just you know, um, the, the secular world. It's just something that we have to deal with, but it doesn't make us any less loved by God. And we don't have to think any less of ourselves and a lot of great things, you know, I think, I'm a strong believer in marriage and that covenant that we make before God when you get married. But I also believe that there comes a time when, when you know that this is not right. And there are, you don't have to be an enabler of things that are out of your control and that are sinful and are against what, how God intended for marriage to be and that it's okay. And I, I did come to that point to where I had a confidence and a peace that I knew God was telling me it was okay to let go. Mm-hmm. And that he still had good things and that he could still, you know, use me and I could still write one day and, and, you know, just all the different things and, and be a great mom and take care of my kids and, and make it on my own. And so he's done so much. It's been almost seven years now, hard to believe. So we're coming up on, on that. Um, and, and things have changed so much from, you know, day one to when you think your entire life is just turned upside down and it's over and you realize that there's a lot of good things that, that can come out of it as well. Yeah. I really, I really appreciate that um, glimpse of hope, even seven years later with how hopeless it can feel in the beginning. And then um, it's almost like you're in that Valley and you just cannot, you are just looking straight at that mountain. Right. And you I mean, it's, it's like, but if you just take that one step, one step, one step, Mm -hmm. you kind of get to the to a view where you can just see a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And it definitely is a step-by-step because there are days, there were so many days where I literally did not get out of bed. I just went through that whole depression stage, part of that grieving process. And, but it is just one day at a time. And that's all we can do is just say, okay, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to do ABC, you know, whatever's on my list. I'm going to try to smile. I'm going to think of the positive things. I'm going to call a friend I'm, I'm going to go to work. Taking it one day at a time is the key to moving forward. Yes, absolutely. Now, I don't know, like, you know, one of the questions that we asked on Instagram about this topic was how long is normal to grieve? Well, there is no timetable that God puts on grief. Everyone is so different. And I would say, honestly, I can't remember how long it had been, maybe a year and a half, couple of years. I remember waking up one day and just feeling happy, just very happy. I just had this sense of this is going to be a great day and I'm excited today. And I feel this peace in my heart and the birds are chirping and it's a beautiful spring, you know, sunshine. And it was almost a strange feeling. And I was like, wow, what is, what is this feeling? Yeah. 
So it's just different for everyone. It also depends on your circumstances too. One, one set of circumstances may be much more tragic or difficult than a different set of circumstances. So we just have to give ourselves grace to take as long as we need and know that God does so as well. Yeah, I love the like every morning, even that verse, honestly, um, his mercies are new every morning. I really do cling to that every morning. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what's going on, I just really cling to like, okay, it's a new morning. We have new mercies. We have new grace. Like everything is new. Let's right. kind of get our, that daily bread, like pray for that daily bread that we need today that maybe, you know, we need more daily bread today than we will tomorrow. Just when it comes to strength and uh, sustenance and just and surviving because every day holds its own challenges and everything. And I also kind of want to think about the beauty of the days of staying in bed because they sometimes seem wasted, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times like that's whenever we do cry out the most and kind of feel him the nearest. Right. That's exactly right. When we think he might be the farthest away is honestly, whenever he's like, no, I'm right here. I'm just Mm -hmm. right here. If you can just roll over. I'm right here, you know, <laughs> I had many experiences in, in my bedroom. And I even wrote a story one time that happened when I was dreaming that I really felt like it was God speaking to me. And yeah. Yeah. So just that alone time, it, it feels so you can feel so hollow, but then he's there to fill it up and you can hear him in those, in those times of silence when you, when you need him the most. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Where can um, we stay connected with you and find your books? Yep, that would be great. My website is Tracy with the IE, tracymiles.com, and um, Living Unbroken, and also the Living Unbroken workbook, which is the Bible study series where I have videos and um, you can form a group, you can do it on your own, and all of that can be found on Amazon, all of the books, but also on my website. So awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, we so appreciate you and being a vessel. Um, with the Lord's work and just all of your obedience has been such a blessing um, with all of everything that you put out. And we're just very thankful. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out today. I pray that you're able to see yourself how the Lord sees you so you can hold your head a little higher and shine your confidence a little brighter. I would so appreciate if you would leave a review, subscribe and share this with a friend. And of course, I want to stay connected with you. Find me on Instagram at Ainsley B. And my website is ainsleybritton.com. See y'all later.